This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. It's great to see you this morning. Everyone doing well, doing good? Got your coffee ready to go? No? (laughs) Hey, I'm excited to be here with you this morning as I get to carry on and continue this series that we're doing called No Other Gospel. And last week, last week, Pastor Ron jumped into chapter 2 of the, of the book of Galatians. And so he went through chapter 2. And so this morning I'm excited because I get to carry on and start with chapter 3. But before we get there, uh, a quick reminder that this series has been all about faith. It really has. It's been all about faith. And so it got me thinking this week as I was considering my own, my own faith and just the idea of what in faith, uh, faith in Jesus looks like, I couldn't help but think back to like, are there moments, you can ask yourself this question as well, are there moments in your life where you've been asked to put your faith in something you weren't sure you trusted? I had one of these moments this past week. Uh, I was over at Sam's Club on Alpine, and as I was, I was walking through, I'm, I'm getting a bunch of stuff for student ministries, and so the typical youth pastor trip, uh, your cart will look like it's full of three things, candy, pop, and chips, like to the max. And so people are looking at you like you've got an issue as you're walking through with this massive cart. Uh, but as I'm walking through the store pushing my cart, all of a sudden I come to this aisle where I, I see something I hadn't seen before, and it, and it made me pause. And as I look down, kind of in between aisles, as I look down one aisle, I see something moving towards me kind of slowly that just kind of blew my mind. Now, some of you have this technology in your own homes, but this is the first time I'd ever seen it on this scale in a large store. And as I look down the aisle, I see this massive vacuum moving toward me. Now, when I say massive vacuum, uh, what I'm talking about is one of these self-propelled automatic floor-cleaning robots that's moving through the aisles. Maybe you've seen this before. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a picture even with me. It looks like this. Every Sam's Club across the country has started using these things. Now, there's a seat and a steering wheel on it, as you can see, which makes it that much weirder when you see it moving with nobody sitting in it. And so as I'm watching this thing move toward me down the aisle, it goes past me, and I see it going right toward a lady who's looking at something in the aisle and doesn't notice that it's coming. And so instead of, like, reaching out and being like, excuse me, ma'am, there's a murderous robot heading your way, I decided to just stay quiet and see what happened. (laughs) Because I'm sitting there thinking, we got the tech for this. Let's see how it performs. And so as this robot approaches this lady, she finally notices it, and she, like, freezes. She's like a deer in headlights, and she doesn't know where to go. Like, she just freezes and stays right there in that moment. And I see the robot as it approaches her. It stops before it gets to her. The steering wheel starts to turn, and it slowly goes around and then cuts back in right behind her and continues on its path. And she kind of just was like looking around at everyone else like, what just happened? (laughs) Is there a ghost driving this thing? And as she walks off, all of us, like everybody who was watching this happen, like side Uh, relief because we just got to realize that this lady didn't end up getting squeegeed into the floor. 
And so I can't help but realize that there are moments of life where, yeah, we're asked to put our trust in things that we don't know are trustworthy. And yet this morning, uh, I'm excited because I get to jump into chapter 3 of the book of Galatians. And uh, what's cool about this is we get to discuss a faith that we get to put in someone who is trustworthy. And so just a quick recap or summary on the book of Galatians for you. Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul, who you've heard Pastor Ron speak about throughout this series. As Basically, he was the artist formerly known as Saul, right, until he had an experience with God. But before he had an experience with God, he was the type of guy who would persecute and even condemn and kill Christians, until he had his own very personal experience with God that led to his conversion. And so, so Paul spent a lot of time in the area of Galatia campaigning that it is by grace through faith, by grace through faith alone that people are made right with God. And so this is where I want to pick up this morning. I want to open our Bibles up to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. And we're going, to, we're going to start right at the beginning. What better place to start? We're going to look at Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. And this is what Galatians 3, 1 through 5 says. Starts off with some really strong words from Paul. Paul says this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Again, he says, are you so foolish? After, be, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard. Here's what's really cool about this for me is that a few weeks ago I preached a message out of the book of James where I got to talk about faith without works being dead. There's this idea that James talks about, about that faith without works is dead. And so I discussed the idea that works should naturally flow from a genuine faith as evidence of that faith. And yet here I stand today, a few weeks later, and I get to preach what essentially is the inverse of that message that I preached a few weeks ago. Not the opposite of that message, but like the inverse of that message. And yet one of those, one of the things that I can't help but realize is that, that faith and works both play an important role in our relationship with Jesus. And yet one of those things clearly takes priority. And that's what I get to talk about today. James, in the book of James again, James said that faith without works is dead. It's not that that faith doesn't exist. It's, it's, that, it's, it's that it's not vibrant. It's that it's lifeless or not alive. The difference here is this, though. This is what I get to chat with you about this morning. It's, it's not that faith doesn't exist, when you, have, when you have that faith, when you have, when your works, when you're doing faith and works, right? The difference is this, is that a faith without belief, though, isn't a faith at all. 
And so where our faith without works is a dead faith, it's still a faith, but it's one that's unalive, doesn't have a pulse. A faith without belief isn't a faith at all. Meaning that belief in Jesus is the foundational pillar on which we call ourselves Christians. And if our belief isn't there, then none of what we do outside of that even matters. And so when I read this passage in preparation, I, man, I couldn't help but notice that Paul starts with, some, again, some really strong language. He says, you foolish Galatians. I think it's interesting to note, to note that the, the translation of the word foolish, foolish comes from the Greek word eneotos, which was this idea of someone who can use, they can indeed use their brain intellectually, but they don't use their power of perception. And so I love this because it's strong language that Paul's using, and, and it basically means this, is that the Galatians had all the information. They had all the know-how, all the insight, all the context to know that they're not saved by works, but by faith alone. Rather, by the grace of their faith. And so Paul asks the Galatians, and essentially I believe he's asking us to hang their hats and to hang our hats on our belief in Jesus first and foremost. He even goes through chapter 3 and uses Moses and Abraham as examples of great faith being the foundational pillars upon which a relationship with God is built. And yet I can't help but notice as I read through this, I can't help but notice that Paul asks a lot of questions. Right here in this, in this, this first chunk of Galatians 3, Paul asks the Galatians four questions that I believe are, are just vital to grasping why belief is our foundation in Christ. And so here's the, I want to go through these questions with you. Here's the first question. It's this. He essentially asks, how did you receive the Spirit? By works or by faith? This comes from verse 2, which again said, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And so Paul tells us this. He tells us this in Romans 8, verse 9. He says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Meaning this, meaning the receiving of the Holy Spirit happens at the moment of salvation. The moment of belief not at the moment of works. And so as beneficial as works are to a life following Jesus, they don't result in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But belief and faith in Christ does. You see, faith leads to salvation, which leads to the gift of the Holy Spirit, which then leads to works in Christ's name. But it starts with faith. It starts with faith. And if we try to reverse the order, we try to do it out of order, it just doesn't simply work in the way that we hope or think that it does. It starts with faith. We essentially have to make sure that the horse is in front of the carriage and not the other way around. See, I remember when I was at Spring Arbor University in college, we took a, cr a cross-cultural trip 
uh, to the country of Guatemala, and I was there for about four weeks, which is really cool for me because now I'm a part of a church that has a global ministry partner in the country of Guatemala. I think it's awesome. And so I remember going there, though, as a college student for four weeks, and it really was, it was a cross-cultural experience where there were, it was a bit of a hybrid trip. There was definitely mission projects happening while we were there. We were up in the Mayan, up in the mountains building houses for Mayans. Uh, but we also experienced the culture while we were there and did a lot of fun things as well. And I'll never forget when we had the opportunity to go zip lining in the city of Antigua. Now here's what's interesting about Antigua is that uh, it's a city that kind of sits in a bowl and it's surrounded by three what look like mountains but are actually volcanoes. And two of those volcanoes are benign, but one of them's active. <laughs> and so what was really cool about this opportunity is that we essentially drove up near the top of the two of the benign volcanoes, and you ziplined your way in between the two volcanoes all the way back down to the bottom. Now, I don't love heights, but when I heard that I'd get a chance or an opportunity to zipline between a couple of volcanoes, I'm like, when am I ever going to have that chance ever again in life? And so I sucked it up, and I'm like, I'm going. There's no way I'm missing out on that. And so I remember getting up there, and they're, they're getting you in your harnesses, and they're telling you, giving all of the directions and how you're going to do this. And you can kind of see in this picture what happens is this. You get put in your harness. It gets hooked to a line, and you're on this giant platform. And in order to get going, they don't, like, nudge you or you just kind of drop. They actually had us run. And so you had to run, you had to sprint to the end of this long platform and essentially launch yourself 200 feet above the ground and just hope that everything would go okay. And I remember in that moment realizing something. I was realizing that, you know what, the zip lining, the experience of zip lining, which I was hoping was going to be great, it literally could not happen unless I found it within myself to have faith in the zip line. Like there was no way I was launching myself out there to let the work be done unless I found it within myself to say, I, I find this line to be trustworthy. And if I made that jump without feeling to some degree that the line was trustworthy, then I would be what, you, what Paul would probably call foolish, right? But I had to find it within myself because all of the ziplining experience comes after the belief and faith that the zipline itself, the cable itself, is trustworthy. Now, did I still experience some doubts as I jumped out into the abyss? Absolutely. <laughs> but I wouldn't have been able to fly through the air, 200 feet above the ground, in between a couple of volcanoes if I didn't have a certain degree of faith and trust in that line being able to carry my weight. And so I love that question that Paul asks. And we have to, we have to ask ourselves the same one. Do we, find, do we find that we receive the Spirit through works or faith? It's through faith that we receive the Spirit. And then he asks this second question. He says, are you seeking perfection through your own efforts? Which comes from verse 3, which said, after beginning by means of the Spirit... Are you, the Galatians, now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So do we try to perform our faith into existence? Do we try to be 
good people who do good things more than we try to invest in a relationship with Jesus. See, I believe this. Sometimes it can just be easier to do good deeds and feel like we're good for the day or the week or even the month. It it can make us feel good about ourselves and we might think, great, that's my act of faith for the day. And So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that good deeds are bad, but I do wonder this. I wonder if we substitute them at times for knowing Jesus on a personal level. And I wonder if we accidentally, unintentionally get in our heads that we're saved by our works and not through our faith. And yet while acts of service are indeed pleasing to God, they're not the foundation of faith in Jesus. Jesus says this in the book of Matthew. He says in chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Again, strong language here, this time from Jesus. What if we sat with God, we sat with his word, and let the experience of knowing him drive our faith? I, this, this is probably a, a frightening thought that I'm about to put out there. And so I don't, I don't say this as fear, ta- fear tactic, but I, I say it because what Jesus says in Matthew deeply matters to me. And I can't help but think this to myself. And I ask the question, could my life receive a I never knew you response from Jesus? Could my life receive a I never knew you from Jesus? Obviously, God knows us. He created each and every single one of us, each uniquely as individuals. But Jesus' statement of I never knew you in that passage tells me that we can do all sorts of good deeds, but if we never invest in the development of our relationship with him, we're missing the point. And so from our investment in a relationship, our efforts will naturally flow and be pleasing to God. Here's the third question that Paul asks us. He says, was your experience with God in vain? Was your experience with God in vain? That comes from verse four. Have you experienced so much in vain, he asks You see, in this book, Paul is writing to the people of Galatia. And the Galatians first thought that they had to work or earn their way into a relationship with God. And yet they started to grasp. They started to grasp that their standing with God depended on their faith, way more than on what what they thought were their works and how they were trying to earn it. That their standing with God depended depended on faith first and foremost. And so Paul warns them that they will indeed be persecuted through their faith. That they will, that they should expect this. That they're going to be persecuted as they find their faith through in God and through God. And yet at this point, exactly what Paul warns them of starts to happen. The Galatians start to be persecuted for their faith. See, they weren't weren't being persecuted before when it was their works, but they start being persecuted for their faith. And so they experience all this persecution. And it's then that they decide to turn from having faith through abiding in Jesus 
to trying to earn faith through works of the law again. And so not with the gift of the Holy Spirit, but with the obedience of the Mosaic law is how they decide to try to to be right in standing with God. And so Paul asks, have you experienced so much in vain? The Galatians were, they were, they were persecuted for their faith and they ultimately turned from their faith back toward works. And so Paul is saying, have you suffered for nothing? To me, this, this spells out the, the integral differences between the principle of law and the principle of grace. And that's this, that under law, we spiritually grow, we grow spiritually by striving to earn and deserve. But under grace, we grow spiritually by believing and receiving. By believing and receiving the Holy Spirit. Because of the life and sacrifice of Jesus, God's covenant with us today is one of grace. I mean, where else do we experience the the promise of grace in our lives? It's pretty rare, isn't it? I think it's pretty rare. And maybe here and there from like family or loved ones, we might experience some element of grace. But typically, we don't experience a ton of it, do we? And when we do, it's, it's almost shocking to us. We, we, or we don't, even, we don't even know what to do with it because we're not used to it. I remember walking into uh, a final exam day at Spring Arbor University my last year there. Uh, in this particular class, this final exam was worth 50% of our final grade. That's a huge, massive chunk, right? So, like, you could, you could literally have done, gotten 100% through the class up until that point, but if you failed that exam, you failed the class. So, massive weight on this final exam. I remember walking in, everybody's sitting down in the class, and everybody's pretty quiet because everybody's focused and thinking about what they had studied. And all of a sudden, the professor walks in. And the professor walks uh, over to his desk, sits down. He's kind of like staring off into the distance, even though we're in a classroom and there is no distance. And he finally, and he finally says out loud to himself, but for the rest of the class here, he's like, yeah, I think we'll try that today. And then he looks at the class and he begins to tell us that we, he's going to give us two different opportunities. That one, one opportunity, we can take the final exam as is, as we normally would. Everybody takes it. What you get on it, that's your grade. Or he said, we can have a little fun today. And I'll allow you, if, you've, if we're going to vote on this as a class, but if you vote for this, I'll allow you to take the final exam as a class. Out loud, you get to talk amongst yourselves about each question, come up with an answer for each, each question, decide what it is, say it out loud, and you get to take it as a class. But here's the deal. For every question that you miss, everybody's grade drops an entire grade level. So one question missed, like as a collective unit from the class, everybody's grade goes from an A on the final exam to a B. Two questions missed from a B to a C. You can see where it's going from there. Some of you in here are sitting here in this moment going, heck no. I know that I would have been the one that had studied, had been like put in the work and the effort. I would have been ready for that final exam. There's no way I'm going to let other people be a part of that process. I'm doing this myself. And yet others of you in this room are sitting there going, I know exactly what I would have done. 
And I would have been the one that's like, uh, I want to take this with everybody else because there's somebody in this room smarter than me, right? And so as an upstanding, I'm sitting there going, well, listen, as an upstanding citizen and member of this class, I know what I'm going to decide. Yeah, I'm taking it as a class, right? And so we take it as a class, and we end up missing one question as a class. And everybody walked out of there that day with a B on their final exam, which hopefully helped them in their final grade in the class. I don't know about you, but when I think of that story, I sit there and go, that was some level of grace I don't know why he chose to give us, right? Why? He was fired the next day. No, I'm just kidding. He wasn't. <laughs> we don't typically experience grace like that in life. I'll be honest. In that moment, it felt like a miracle. It did. It felt like a miracle. But the gift of, of God's grace is never-ending. It's not a moment. It's not fleeting in a moment. It's never-ending. The promise of his grace isn't bound by laws or rules. But it does require our faith and our faith alone. Because I believe God's grace indeed is a miracle. And so I'm going to get to the last question here that Paul asks us. On what foundation does God perform miracles? By works or faith? You see, we, we see multiple examples where Jesus performs miracles and clearly communicates how the person's faith plays a role. Jesus heals the centurion, the, I'm sorry, the centurion's servant, and, and says this, Jesus says this, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. A woman who has been bleeding for 12 years and touches Jesus' cloak and a crowd of people is immediately healed, and Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus heals two blind men by touching their eyes and saying to them, according to your faith, let it be done. That's not to say that Jesus only performed miracles for those who had great faith, though. On the contrary, Jesus, while, while on a boat with the disciples during a storm, is, waking, is, is woken up by the disciples because they're freaking out because this storm is so aggressive and they're freaking out that they're all going to die. And Jesus says this, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then in the very next moment, he calms the storm. And so you can see, we can see that faith plays a foundational role in God's miracles in one way or another. Here's what stands out to me about this passage, about this chapter, and really about the entire book of Galatians. It's this, that Paul is imploring people to find a relationship with Jesus based solely off of faith. Not based off of works, but truly based off of faith. And so here's what I believe Paul is saying to the Galatians and to us. He's saying this, your faith is first and foremost an investment in a relationship with Jesus. And every single one of us in this room knows that if you don't nurture relationships, they don't grow. Actually, they do. They just grow apart. Has your faith been a relational? Has, has your faith been one that's relational or transactional? Do you know Jesus to the point where you trust that your relationship with him your relationship with him is what matters most.
and that the rest will follow. But first and foremost, it starts with a relationship. I see, I can't help but think back to my, my ziplining experience. And one as, aspect of the, the story that I hadn't told you yet uh, is what happened to my professor. And so my professor was the last one to go ziplining in this experience with us. So at the end of every zipline, we kind of like, we sat and waited for the professor then to come. And then we carry on as a group. We get to the last zipline. Everybody's done. And we're all just waiting and getting to watch the, our professor do the, the last zipline. And so as he's coming down the zip line, flying through the air, uh, he gets to the last station. Now at the, at, at the end of every zip line, it kind of like, as you're going down and it gets you momentum, it kind of lips back up. It goes back up to the stand in the trees that you have to land on. And so the professor's flying, and as he approaches that stand, instead of doing everything that he was told to do, he decides to try to, like, grab something on his own and not let the guides, like, help him. And so he, he lets go of his grip of his harness and reaches for the tree stand, and he slips. And what then ensues is that the professor, uh, his, his hand slips, his foot slips from the stand, and he, he falls backwards. And now he starts ziplining backwards the other direction on the zipline. And in the midst of that slipping from the stand, he also slips right off of the, har- the holder on the harness that you're supposed to hold on that keeps you upright. And he is now completely upside down, flying 200 feet over the ground back the other direction until he lands right in the middle of the zipline and he hangs there. <laughs> completely upside down. And he had to wait 20 minutes for them to get people on the zip line to rescue him and bring him back up. That dude had the worst headache after that. <laughs> and yet, I, I think of that, and to me, it's still a reminder. It's a reminder to me that my works, my abilities, my physical output, they'll only get me so far. As a matter of fact, my attempts to, to earn faith They might even lead to me floundering, flipping myself all, every which way. As I think I know what's best for me in life and I try to physically attain that, I find myself slipping and floundering. And and chances are maybe you've experienced that as well. But what I can do, I realize this, what I can do, it, it can only get me so far. What I can do can only get me so far. I, I will end up falling short. And yet my trust, my faith, and my investment and my relationship with Jesus is, what, is exactly what will carry me through my floundering in life. And I'm, I'm just so grateful this morning for a grace like that in Jesus. And I'm grateful for the words of Paul who implore us to find faith through a relationship. That we're saved through our faith and our faith alone, not through our works, but through a relationship with Jesus. And how great it is, church, that we have a God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. Man, I'm blown away by that. I love that about God. And so this morning, we just continue to lean into that as we continue to worship together. And what does it look like in this moment to invest in your relationship with Jesus right here and right now? Let's pray together. God, I'm just blown away by the fact that you want a relationship with me. God, that you want a relationship with us. And so I just pray in this moment, God, that that I and every single person in this room would recognize that it's not, we're not saved by what we can do. 
God, a lot of us in here feel like we can do a lot. God, that our actions are suffice. And God, my prayer this morning is that we continue to realize that without you, we've got nothing. Without you, when we leave this place, when we leave this earth, and our, our legacy is, it's one that's missing something. So God, my prayer this morning is that when we look at our lives, when we look at how we can impact the world around us, when we look at our legacy, God, I pray that our legacy is more about you than it is about us. God, that we would suck in our pride and we would humbly sit before your throne and just be in relationship with you, talk to you, listen to you. God, invest in that. And through that, everything else will follow. God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to have a faith in you, for being our, our stronghold that we, we very quickly recognize that we can lean on when our own efforts don't measure up. So God, we just, we lean into worship this morning, recognizing that that's who you are, that you're good, and that you're good enough. You're more than good enough for us. And so we lean into worship and praise, recognizing that, yeah, you did. You sent your one and only son for our sake, for our slates to be wiped clean, and that we can live a life that follows after you. But God not only follows after you, but invests in a personal relationship with you. So God, we continue to do that in this moment right here, right now, as we worship you together. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.